0: for downloading and listening to a quick timeout podcast presented by Dr. Dish Basketball. If you're in the market for a shooting machine, look no further than Dr. Dish Basketball's incredible lineup of shooting machines. Their CT, All-Star Plus, and Rebel Plus models have been bought by thousands of programs around the world, while their home model is being used by players all over the country, right in their own backyards and driveways. New to the lineup this year is the Dr. Dish facility model for those with basketball training businesses. These machines are must-have for those looking to take their shooting to the next level. To find out more, visit drdishbasketball.com. Making his second appearance on the show is savvy performances coach Tyler Costen.
1: Coach, welcome back. Thank you. This this is hopefully this is a sequel that's like a Top Gun sort of a sequel, <laughs> arguably better than the first. Uh, uh, Um, Yeah, it's great to be talking
0: with you. The odds are against us, but uh, it's all right. I know you, and I'm sure it will be better than last time. And the last time Tyler was on here, we talked the defensive side of the ball. This time, we're going to talk offense a little bit. If you didn't hear the last episode, we talked about lock left and did another Q&A. That was back in June, if you're kind of scrolling back. But be sure to scroll back after you listen to this episode. So this time, we are talking offense, and specifically, race and space offense he and I were talking beforehand some people call it pace and space and because there is some familiarity with this but I do think that it can mean different things for different people Tyler so explain to us what your version of race and space offense is
1: yeah no appreciate that you know first I I gotta give a shout out to my friend Mike Neighbors uh, currently the head coach at Arkansas. When uh, I started to hang out with him, he was head coach at the University of Washington uh, for the women's program. And he's really the one that started me on this race and space journey. It's what he calls his transition to this day is race and space. And, um, and I have run with it since then and built out layers of 10 offensive principles that um, start and lean heavily on what Mike has developed over years and years and years with his teams about how to play fast in transition specifically. Um, Why uh, I call it race and space um, really just starts with this why. Every coach in the world wants to play in transition more because every coach knows that you get a higher efficiency shot in transition than you do against a set defense. And what we were talking about a little bit actually before this is, okay, knowing that doesn't mean your team's going to do it um and so you know what i think the best teachers do is they build a system that's going to improve their players individually at the skills needed to get more shots in transition at the reads needed to make sure that it's good shots and not just quick shots and so it's so much more for uh for a savvy coach than just playing fast that's that's not the goal the goal isn't a quick shot. The goal isn't a fast shot. The goal is better shots. You know, the effectiveness of your offense will always distill down to what types of shots your offense is generating. The offenses that generate better shots will be more successful and have a better chance of winning. The offenses that generate worse shots will be least successful. And so, you know, many people believe that um, playing fast will generate better shots. Yes. Yes. But if two teams playing fast are, are, are competing, they're not gonna get the same shots. The, the team that's taught better and coached better is gonna get better shots. Um, so it's not enough just to say run. And so that's what I think um, what I'm trying to do with race and space is to simplify offense, to trend towards better shots, and determine those better shots through transition. I'll, and I'll be quiet um, after this. You know, for me, the word race as opposed to pace um, is intentional. Um, It's intentional because it's one of the teachings that Dick DeVenzio, the founder of Point Guard College and one of my mentors used um, when he was teaching me many, many years ago before he passed away, um, is you want to race the arcs. Um, It really is a race. And I think that that principle and that mindset as an identity for your team is, every time there's a change or a transition, That top, the key, the top, the key area is a race. And I think if we can eliminate um, coach speak and coach speak tends to be like a bird's eye view of 10 players on the court. And if we can go into player perspective with our language, which is kind of point of view, like a first person shooter game perspective, if we can use language and give them cues from a first person, we're going to get better results. So if I tell Dante, I'm like, you're racing your check in the, in the, between the arcs in the, what we call the racetrack, you beat them every single time. That's a lot different than I say, we need to run harder. Uh, we need to run harder. It doesn't put the onus or responsibility. And the best way to get more um, intensity is to give a clear intent. Intent leads to intensity. So the intent for Dante is beat his player between the arcs, both offensive and defensive. We're talking offensively right now. So it's a race. Um, so I think that's a, that's a key thing. Um, it's also race is also an acronym of the three habits that our players must have in the first layer of the race in space, which is racing the arcs. And the acronym is this, the R and the A literally stand for race the arcs. R race, A arcs, race the arcs. So every single time it's a race and that's something that we can measure. Like Coaches, we should never ask our players to do something that we can't objectively measure to tell them if they're winning or not. This is a competitive game you try to win. So I can have someone on the sideline, I can go to film and I can say, okay, you beat your check um, 70% of the time, 80% of the time, 10% of the time. And that, that will determine your trust and your playing time. So R and the A of race, race the arcs. The C stands for control. Because it's not special to play fast and out of control, which is what a lot of teams do. And they're like, oh, we're going you know, to play fast this year. right? But it's also not special to play slow and in control. That's really easy to guard. And you're not going to generate great shots. What's special is the balance between racing the arcs and playing in control. Um, and so, you know, that control habit, we really break down in our race and space offense to three core skills. Um, and I, we, I won't go into them right now, but we have three core skills that demonstrate control that are about starts and stops. Um, and then the E is what we do once we play with control. We race the arcs, we establish control, which usually means slowing down once we penetrate the arc on offense. And then the E stands for eagerly hunt the world. Uh, The world being the circle, uh, the logo, uh, right around the free throw line. I call it the world. So the ball is going to get to the world. So the goal is not to shoot it. The goal is to get the ball to the logo, to the world, um, within the first seven seconds, because that's when it's going to be easiest to get there. Um, Once we get there, we can play our advantage game. That establishes advantage catches, and that establishes good shots. Um, but I think like if every coach that's trying to play fast actually established a system of why they're playing fast and what those reads are, they, they wouldn't uh, result in a lot of turnovers. And I'll give one last shout out to my guy, Mike, then I'm going to be quiet and throw it back to you. Um, so what's really special about what Mike Neighbors has done and what made me want to learn from him specifically is they play fast. But every single year, they lead uh, they lead the they lead NCAA Division one in the least turnovers per possession. That's epic. That's epic. And how do you do that? right? And that is um, what the race and space is about, that principles is what he taught me and what if I, what I have attempted to put into teaching layers for other coaches.. Um, as, as, as well. So that's, that's, I think the, the key difference between what I, I've seen as pace and space and what we've tried to do with race in space.
0: This may be just a summary of what you just said there. Please the summarize. P- I talked a lot. Differentiating elements of what this is and what makes it what it is. I heard things like shot selection and an element of playing fast speed probably is a better way to, to put that, mm-hmm. um, and obviously the control that goes along with that. What else makes it different than just running up the floor, taking good shots, and trying to create an advantage early?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I'm going to give the one sentence log line for each of the 10 layers, and layers are principles of offensive play. Um, so, what I do with coaches is I give them the system. But the system is a canvas for your own art form. It is not a formula for a repeatable uh, potion. Like everyone's offense and everyone's defense should be really, really uh, tuned into your identity. What do you value more? And so we we go through each of these layers with with our programs and our coaches establish. Um, what they want to prioritize as they go through each of these layers. So real quick log lines, this is what differentiates it. It's 10 layers, 10 lenses, 10 10 principles of offensive play that each coach needs to answer some key questions on. And coaches listening, most of the coaches that I work with have never answered these 10 questions. Um, And just answering the questions will lead to high clarity and high clarity leads to high performance. Um, So layer one, race the arcs. So um, We establish how fast do we want to play um, and how are we going to get there? And We go through it. Uh, Layer two, space and hunt. How can we create more horizontal, more width space in the half court so that we can hunt the world more effectively with the drive, with the pass? Third layer, shots and reads. Very clear shot selection scale and naming and then very clear role identification. What reads can players make? We have five reads in the system. And you got each of your players needs to know, which read can I make? Am I a one-read player, a two-read player, a three-read player, onto a five-read player? Um, most coaches only have two, three-read players on their team. They can do three things when they catch the basketball. Um, most coaches have one-read players, but one-read players don't know that they're one-read players. You don't teach them. So, mm-hmm. you, so shots and reads. What shots can you take? What reads can you make? Every player has clarity. Not everyone gets to do everything. That leads to turnovers. Uh, The fourth one, advantage game. What are our rules for our advantage game? And how do we know when we're in advantage game, when the defense is one second away from us or more on the catch, and how can we keep the advantage? Uh, When do we shift from layer four advantage game to layer five, which is our action game? When we have an advantage, the ball keeps moving. We keep the t- wheel turning. When we don't have an advantage, we stop and we run our primary action from our action menu. What are your primary actions? Who gets to run actions? Wh- what actions do you want each player to run? How can they become specialists? Um, that's our layer five action menu. Layer six, zone actions. Um, we want a little bit of a different tweak. Um, out of, you know. We don't want a different offense, OK? Like this is your offense, but we want some different actions against zones. Um, what are your primary zone actions? They're probably a little different, and they're probably for different players. Um, or your players might be in different spots on it. Layer seven, the shooting system. Uh, The quickest way to score more points is to make more shots. Uh, And so do you have a system that determines how people earn the right to take different shots and develop as shooters? Layer eight, the foul game. Um, Are you winning the foul game? Winning the foul game, still winning the real game. Do you have a plan and practice to draw more fouls um, and get to the line more? Uh, Layer nine, our out-of-bounds package. Um, And just the goal of all this is to simplify things. Um, most coaches have their out of bounds package much higher than ninth. Mm -hmm. And I would say that is incorrect and uh, improper priorities. And then layer 10 would be our special situations, uh, like a press break, like an end game situation, et cetera, et cetera. So answering those 10 questions is the system. Um, and you'll notice that speed was only in the first one. Mm -hmm. Um, but everything is built on, on that, um, and making quick decisions.
0: A Quick timeout podcast is sponsored by 3-on-3 Hoops Hub. If you're a basketball coach looking to grow your program, raise funds for your program, or build your basketball business, you're going to want to check out what 3-on-3 Hoops Hub can do for you. 3-on-3 Hoops Hub has run over 350 3-on-3 basketball leagues for thousands of kids since 1997 and is helping coaches all across country do the same. Three-on-three basketball is the ideal format for players to get more opportunities, work on all skills and positions, and have fun playing competitive basketball with their friends. You can bring three-on-three to your community and do it like an expert by learning from the best three-on-three Hoops Hub free training. To find out more and get access to the training, simply click the training.3on3hoopshub.com QTO link in the show notes below. Okay, so I do want to get into some of the questions that we got from social. And I tried to kind of couple these so that they kind of there is a flow to it, but there may not necessarily, and, and some things may pop up along the way. But I'll go ahead and start with this one. And you alluded to playing fast. Do you feel like a team should, or do you suggest playing fast, even if you don't necessarily feel like you have a team? that is able to play fast. And I think that that maybe we would define that sometimes. It's like, well, I don't have a fast break
1: team. Right. Yep. And um, I'm just going to come out real strong on that and say every team should play faster, every single one. Um, and, and here's my biggest why. Um, the goal of the race and space offense isn't to help you win more games. That's not my goal the goal of the race and space offense is to revolutionize the way that basketball is taught and played. And so if your team is bad, right? So another way of saying we don't have a fast break team is actually just saying that your team is bad because you could take, um, you could take Dwayne Wade, um, you know, uh, Matt Barnes, Shaquille O'Neal. You could take all these like old washed up uh, NBA players. Okay. That are retired and out of shape. And they could play against your high school team in a, in a high-paced game, a lot of possessions, and they would dominate them. You don't have to be fast. You don't have to be in shape. All you have to be is skilled. <laughs> All you have to be is skilled. You can throw Jason Kidd in there, and he's going to crush your team, you know, hopping down the floor, right? Um, so, like, it's, it's, a, it's a misunderstanding that you have to have an athletic team or a fast team in order to play with pace. Pace or racing just means you're gonna have more possessions, okay? So so that's the first off. Second, if your team sucks or is bad or is unskilled, you must play fast because they gotta get better. The only way to really improve your team long-term is player development. And if your team gets 50 possessions per game over the course of a whole year, preseason, in-season, summer, whatever, and they go up against a team that's equally bad, that's been getting 100 possessions over the course of the year. Guess what? The team that got more touches is going to have improved faster. Like, so it's, it's not even about winning this game, it's about getting your players better. And especially at the youth level, we have this being put in, like with youth club teams and AAU teams, like double up the amount of reps you're getting in practice. It's just about getting more reps. The other thing is this. If you can't score in transition, you're not going to be able to score in the half court. Um, Like Worst players need more space and more time. More time isn't about speed. Time is about distance of defenders, more time to make reads. The only way to give bad players more space and time is in transition. Um, And I would suggest your team has a better chance of improving, losing by 20 in a high possession game than losing by 10 in a low possession game. Um, You're going to lose either way it's just your pride that's keeping you from losing by more. That's it. It's not, it's not, don't, don't disguise it as like, Oh, I want to give ourselves a chance to win. No, you just want the box score to look better. Um, you're not focusing on the long-term development. So anyway, I came in hot on that one. Um, thanks for asking. Yeah, hey, what, what's, what's your, what's your response on that one? Coach? No,
0: that's good. I think at the beginning, it's important for us to differentiate you said about like playing fast and the skills that go along with it, being careful. They understand, Uh, to your point about Jason Kidd even, the differentiating factor is the fact that he is better at making decisions than your players are. And when we view decision-making as a skill, because typically how I define skills just as we loosely talk about them, I'm talking about like motor skills. Like I can Mm -hmm. pass, dribble, and shoot with Mm -hmm. this motor function and do it well. And there are a lot of of teams that, that you don't have players depending on how old you're coaching the players are like you may be spending some time developing those things but if you're isolating those and not developing the decision making then you just expect to see there be some problems once you start playing games and to your point the thing that has has accelerated my players learning has been when i combine all of those things and we do it faster which can be uglier Mm -hmm. There is also a limit. I do think that like it can be too fast. You have to pull the reins sometimes and be like, hey, we need to slow down a little bit and work on that. But until you get as close as you can to playing game-like, do not expect your players to see the improvement. There are too many coaches that are afraid of losing close games against the other bad teams, that they Mm want to stick to it rather than just like, we're going to go it all out with this and – it may cost us some games, maybe that we shouldn't lose, but I've got to do something to actually improve the overall player, not just their ability to pass or dribble
1: or shoot. Um, well said. So, well said. And let me give coaches a quick, a quick framework and a quick tool for improvement in that area um so what what you would use this tool for is how to improve your players skills and reads reads would equal decision making i just i believe that reads are decision making at speed um that's 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 the language or the de- definition for for our framework with the savvy coaches we work with so i'll give you the framework then i'll give an example the framework is observe connect correct observe connect correct that's a that's a coaching tool so yeah. Before you um, actually teach or uh, develop skill, observe them in the most game-like manner you possibly can. That's what you were just talking about. So actually sit back and observe to identify, okay, what is the skill that we need to work on the most that's going to lead to the greatest return on investment of time? we got limited time. Observe first. And I like to do that in an actual game. It can be a five-on-five game, a small-sided game, whatever you want, but observe it, okay? So we've identified the skill now. I've got to connect that skill to the game-like situation, the read, the visual read. And so in order to connect that, then we're going to do a breakdown. Um, I call them skinnies. Um, You can use small-sided games. You can use drills, whatever. But observe is game. Connect is some sort of a, a breakdown, drill, guided defense, something smaller. And then in that small breakdown, you correct technique. I think that correcting technique needs to be very, very separate from the game where you're observing it. Um, so, but I believe that you, they need context. That's the connection. They need to have context to connect. What am I going to actually use a skill? So, like, we as coaches might go into a practice and be like, oh, we're turning the ball over way too much, and we don't even pass and catch the ball well. So, I obviously need to do a drill where we pass and catch, maybe with a monkey in the middle defender thing. Okay, so we're going to do this drill early in practice, and then assume that 30 minutes later when we scrimmage, we're going to actually pass and catch better. False assumption. False assumption. Like you have a very clear objective. So you observe it and say, okay, I've observed this thing. So our objective is ball security, passing and catching. I'm, gonna, I'm connecting that now through this drill, whatever. Good. Now, when you correct it, I believe you should go super slow. If your players can't do it slow, they can't do it. Um, and so like this train at game speed, train at game speed, I think is overused. Whereas game speed should be lo- used for observation. Then our connection, we actually want to train even faster. And then our correction, we want to train even slower so we can actually get technique. And so like, just by trying to play fast, it doesn't mean that everything you do in training and in practice is fast. Um, But observe, connect, correct, will really help you see massive improvement in whatever skill or read that you're trying to, to, to identify.
0: I like that. That's good. That's a good good way to remember it. Mm -hmm. Anytime that I introduce this to somebody, one of the questions that they have for me is, if I played this way, I don't necessarily know that I can get my best players the shots that they need for our team to win. Mm -hmm. How do you get the best shooters the most shots?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and that's honestly... uh, been my issue with other offensive systems that I have learned and taught over the past 15 years. And so this system is designed in order to have your best players have the ball in their hands the most. So they're making the most reads and taking the most shots. And we go into that in layer three, which is shots and reads, shots and reads. Um, So one, we have a 10 point shot scale. And I'll just highlight the three main shots that, that come up. A nine, a seven, and a five on a scale of 10. Nine is obviously the best. A nine is a wide open layup. The majority of the players on a race and space team are nines only. The only shot they're allowed to take are wide open layups. And as you know, coach, really the only time to get wide open layups are in transition. So you want to shoot more, run harder incentivizing the behavior that we want to, to see happen. The, the only other way you really are going to get a nine are on what we call burn cuts or backdoor cuts. And you can do that from anywhere, baseline, 45, whatever. There's lots of cuts. But after the ball gets to the world, the ball stops in the world, then we're looking for burn cuts to the rim um, after a drive. So we get more movement and cutting out of it that way. right? So that'd be a nine. A seven is the next shot that we get most often. A seven is a wide open, off the catch, three by a green light shooter. And you know we go into our green light system, everybody's got one, we don't need to get into that. But that'd be the next shot that we want players to develop. A five is gonna be anything off the dribble with any sort of a contest. And there's probably, and I'd, I'd be, coach I'd be curious to know for, on your team, how many players on your team that you would want to take fives. So that would be their floaters, their mid-range pull-ups, maybe something contested outside the arc, highly contested at the rim stuff. Those are all fives. Uh, How many players on your team do you have that you want to take fives?
0: Historically, we only have probably one or two, and those are most of the time four-year guys that have been in the program a long time and have already demonstrated that they can do the others. But I I don't even develop them in Mm -hmm. individual workouts and work with them on things off the dribble and pull up just because they can't do the standstill stuff. And I think that that's really key is for, this isn't about like, what can you do versus what can't you do? This Mm -hmm. is about like, what can you do at a very high percentage and the higher ranks that you go, Mm -hmm. the smaller, the, the, I have to, I have to have even better shooters to get them to understand that as soon as I start dribbling or moving, I'm adding variables into my shot factor that you have to have even more discipline in your shot to be able to shoot it at the percentage. And and I think that that's important to communicate is not just necessarily like you're a nine, seven or five, Mm -hmm. but like this is why. And I'm trying to get you to understand that in order to have the most success for you and not to have the frustration, you have to understand that these additional variables you're not
1: ready for yet. Absolutely. Nine percent nine percent is the uh difference for an nba player in their effective field goal percentage before a dribble and after a dribble
0: that's an nba player every one of them
1: was a star in college um like that's epic and so it's like it's not, it's not saying you're bad right it's just saying we want you to be great mm-hmm. we want you to be great and so i think that's how we identify who gets to do what on a broad scale now reads would then take it to uh another level as well It's like what reads can they make on the catch Um, and so that like we would identify, okay, who gets to hunt advantages and hunt is basically another word for me for attack. Um, so exploring with the dribble is what we call hunting. Um, we're hunting the world. We're hunting nines. We're hunting sevens. Um, we're really hunting those things. And so there's limited people able to do that. Um, you know, I think the other aspect to race and space, I think is very unique where coach neighbors really, really impacted me is um very defined roles in transition um, which ensures that our best ball handlers our best decision makers are the only ones hunting in transition with the dribble everyone else is sprinting to their spots and being locked and loaded ready to finish or dunk it or lay it up or whatever uh we're trailing for a shot um we want our best player to have the basketball which is just what you see at higher levels um at the highest levels of play the best players have the ball in their hands more at the lowest levels of play, right, is when, you know, they're they're trying to move the basketball. And so uh, I think that also helps ensure that your best players have the ball in their hands more.
0: You mentioned the different positions. Most of us don't have the ability to recruit. uh, You're given the players that you that you have. Mm -hmm. I do think that you can change that through the player development Mm -hmm. uh, component. But still, you kind of have what you have. And typically, especially at the younger levels, the best player is going to end up as your point guard. Doesn't matter if he's big right. or small. Right. Um, but do you feel like there is a if we are talking about developing towards a particular position or or spot mm-hmm. or recruiting towards a particular spot? Do you feel like there is a more important or most important into making this whole thing go? Whether it's yeah. wise.
1: Yeah, it's it's what we call the racker. Um, We use the term racker instead of point guard. And I actually think that the game is trending that way. Like if you look at like a a Luka Doncic, um, he wouldn't necessarily be your traditional point guard, which is set up the offense and, you know, initiate action. It's like, no, he's going to score. And you need two players to take, take that shot away from him, which then gets into advantage game and advantage catches. Like he gets to the rack. James Harden's more of a racker than a point guard. Kyrie Irving's more of a racker than a point guard. Like, and racker means you can get to the rack at a really high level and you can finish at the rack at a really high level against a contest. I mean, that's the engine that makes the offense go. Um, you know, they don't turn the ball over um, either because they have wide open advantage passes because of how much help they demand. Right. Like a lot of times weak players turn the ball over because no one's helping. on them. like they're 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 playing the pass. Um, and so that's why we don't want weak players to have the ball in their hands very much in a game we're trying to win. Um, you know, so to even uh, flip it back, if I was going development stage like youth basketball, you know, prior to like high level varsity, high school basketball, I would still have the clearly defined roles. But I would rotate players through those roles so they could develop lots of different skill sets. Mm-hmm. Um, once we're trying to win games, um, I think that the more you can limit players, the more you can confine them, uh, the more they're going to flourish. It's like pruning a tree, right? The less options someone has, the more creative they, they get. Rajon Rondo became such a creative passer and playmaker because he couldn't shoot. He had to. He had limits on his game, and so the more we can put limits on players' game, the more they can flourish in the areas that we want them to flourish. Um, and and I, I think that that would be it. Like you got to have that racker. Everything else, um, you know, will get will we'll turn on that linchpin.
0: Without feeling like you have to describe everything, can you just talk about the other positions? Oh, and, and let me ask this as well having very specific and I know coach neighbors and he's been on the show and has talked a little bit about this before but they have they have pages for each of these roles and i feel like do you feel like that it allows players to to flourish the more specific role that they have within this style of of offense
1: Yes. I'll answer that one first. It's the simplest. Yes. Within this style, the more specific the role, the more they will flourish. I've been putting this, um, this in with teams for a few years now. I did it with my own teams for many years before that. The biggest pushback I get from coaches when they first run the race and space offense is, ah, I don't really know who our best racker is. And so I'm going to put a lot of players through that position. We'll rotate them through. Or I don't really know who our, our best locks are. So I'm having to play locks sometimes and play dragons sometimes. And the biggest thing I say is I've seen it. Um, you're going to come around to it. You should just trust me and, and get them focused on their role. Um, and after, like towards the end of the year, um, every single time coaches say, I wish I, had, I wish I had just locked them into one role sooner. But it's hard. It's hard because they, coaches feel like it's a hard sell mm-hmm. to their players. They feel like they're limiting players or like they're not going to like that role. Yeah, so that that would be the answer. Lock them in. So here they are real quick, and I don't have pages. Um, I think that's one thing that I've I've really prioritized with this is simple. Simplicity wins. Like this is real, real simple. Mm -hmm. Um, You should get it so simple. It's down to one question, zero excuses, right? Did you do your job? Yes or no. Every player on the team should know did, did they do their job in every situation. So you have to start real, real simple. Then when they can do their job, you can give them another job. Um, and there should be like, oh, but this, but that, you know, when you have players switching roles all the time too, there's lots of buts, this and that, um, zero excuses. So every, in, in the, the roles are transition roles only. Once we, once we, um, get out of transition, cause that's how we establish our advantage for our offensive possession. It's the easiest way to establish an advantage. Once we get out of transition, there aren't roles there's just reads and shots. What reads can you make on the catch and what shots can you take um, after that? That's it. It's just reads and shots. Um, and, and, you know, and what actions on the action menu that they're going to be running. Um, so let me just go through the transition roles. It, it's really very simple. I'll say their role and their, their job, their responsibility. So our racker is, is the role. The racker would be closest to your, your point guard. They're the ones that we want the ball in their hands in transition, Um, We want our racker to catch the ball as close to half court as they can off of a make or miss. Um, We want every player on the team to learn to be their own outlet. So whether it be a steal or a rebound, we want everyone first before they dribble to peek up the floor for a nine for anyone that bolted out behind the defense to hit ahead for a nine, a wide open layup. But if there's not a hit-ahead nine, we don't want to pass the ball to the outlet immediately. We want everyone to Draymond Green style, Brandon Stewart style, be their own outlet and break out towards half court, towards the center of half court. We want them to exit the arc and start the race so that no one is stopping and looking back and coming back to the ball. We don't want anyone doing that. We want everyone, when it's our ball, head down, bolt for three steps, gone. That alone creates so many more transition offenses. Like Teams take a whole season just to do that. That's so simple. But then if whoever's their own breakout, if they don't have a nine, if they can't keep dribbling for a wide open layup, then they're going to hit our racker who's going to be at either sideline, around a half court. When the ball hits the rackers' hands, they have one job. Get to the rack they must get to the rack. And it's a lot easier to get to the rack when they're the person receiving that hit ahead pass, as opposed to your racker hitting ahead to someone that's not as good of a creator, even though they have a better advantage, they're not as good of a creator. So why do we want them passing ahead? We only pass ahead for nines. Otherwise it gets in the racker's hands, period. So every single possession, racker, did you get to the rack? Yes. Nope. Didn't get to the rack that time. And so their their skill development, their mindset, everything is like they try to get to the rack. Um, second one, uh, it's the second most important role in transition. We call it the dragon. And uh, Coach Neighbors uh, uses that one. And the dragon drags behind the ball, regardless of if they inbound the ball or not. They do inbound on made shots or if they got the rebound or not, whatever. If they can't bolt out behind the last defender, they stop. And they must be the last offensive player to cross half court. And so they drag behind it. What that does is it gives the entire width of the floor to the racker to go up the street, to cross the street, to hunt the world, whatever. Um, And then the dragon's going to swoop and fire. That's their job. Did you swoop like a dragon would swoop down, right? Did you swoop to open space behind the ball? And did you catch the ball ready to fire? Fire means shoot. Um, that's their job. Did they do it or not? If they should be able to swoop and get an open shot behind the basketball, uh, locks, there's two locks. We designate a lock right and a lock left. Um, that will lock down the right corner regardless of where they were off uh, defensively and will lock down the left corner. So yeah, they're crossing, they're crossing, creating confusion, whatever. Um, but they're putting their head down and locking down their corner. Because it's also interesting, I think you've probably seen this as well. Certain players just shoot better from certain sides of the floor. Like I like if you're 2% better from the right corner, I want you in the right corner, mm-hmm. right? And so you have your, your your lock spot. And their job is if they can't get behind the last defender for a nine, they're putting their head down and not even looking for the ball until they get to the corner, locked and loaded, call it the money spot. Um, And then lastly, we have what we call a bolt. Um, And the bolt would be your traditional rim runner, except they're not always running to the rim. A bolt is only going to the rim. If they are oh sorry, I'll go back to the locks. The locks job is to be locked and loaded before their defender uh, gets down the floor. That's their job. Did you did you win the race to your corner um, down the floor and locked and loaded? So you're open. Now, if, it, if a lock gets locked and loaded, we'll hit it ahead to them, and their job to shoot it. But we don't hit ahead to them if, if they're not wide open for a seven. The bolts job is to get behind the last defender and get a nine. That's it. That's their only job. If they can't get behind the last defender for a nine, they go sit on the porch or go sit in the short corner opposite the ball. Um, That's it. And we would spend an entire season getting people good at those jobs because when we get good at those jobs, you get really, really good shots and good advantages. Yeah,
0: that's good. A lot of good stuff there. Um, This is the million dollar question. I'll ask it again. You already answered it, but I want you to, to tell us what it means. Do you go to something different when the
1: defense plays zone? Never. Um, You might go to different actions. I think the goal of these systems and the goal, honestly, of what I'm trying to do with Savvy is to simplify um, great wisdom. You have great wisdom. Um, I I get to travel and learn from people like yourself all the time. And because of personnel, because of experience where they're on the coaching journey, because maybe they're not professional coaches, um, a lot of the things that coaches at the high school and the youth level are seeing and trying to duplicate, they're failing because it's too complex. And so what I'm attempting to do is take the great stuff that you do and all these other great coaches do and just simplify it. And one of the biggest misses for the majority of coaches in the world, because the majority of coaches in the world are youth and high school level coaches. The majority aren't you know, your top D1 college and pro coaches. The majority of coaches in the world are wasting time trying to teach two offenses, one for man and one for zone. It, 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 you're wasting time, you do the same thing all the time. You make the same reads on the catch. You establish the same advantages because of your spacing. You have the same shot selection. When you don't have an advantage, you, you, you might even race faster against a zone than you would against the man, same things all the time. The only thing you do different would be just run different actions to create advantages. If you ever have a catch without an advantage, where the defense isn't one second away on the catch then you go into an action and so we have a different action menu uh for zones um we've got our dance dive flank burn push screen like all just different actions because the goal of offense is to get an advantage catch that's it that's it that's the goal of offense so we're going to get those advantage catches a little different um running and this is this is my soapbox and I'm not against sets and quick hitters. I'm not against that. I'm not against, you know, out of timeout stuff at all. But as you're you're operating principles, I think that having um, a set offense that you run here, then you run here is capping your team. And instead, we just want to teach our players how to play off advantage catches. And we run some sort of action to create advantage catches. So we play the same way against a man or a zone. How we create the advantage catches will be different. But then once we create an advantage catch, they know how to play. They know how to hunt, make shot selection reads, kick, swing, attack, all that stuff within their skill set. So I I think that when coaches can do that, they're going to be amazed at how the success against man leads to success against zone and success against zone leads to greater success against man. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, that would be, uh, that'd be my, my answer to that one.
0: Yeah, it's good. Uh, I think we answered a lot of questions. I think we did a better job just creating a lot more questions. And for that, (laughs) (laughs) for that, you have created something that I want you to share. And it's coming up soon, which is why I have you on here. But can you tell people about what that is, where they can find out about that, and then also where they can connect with you?
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Race and space, not pace. Raceinspace.com. It will get you a free PDF of the, all the layers, some free videos about what we do. Um, there's there's three ways that you can learn race and space. Um, one, we've got an online course on demand. Uh, you can take it, and it's the cheapest way to get the information. Two, what we have coming up is I personally coach about 15 programs per season through race and space install and race and space improvement we do this cohort style um, and the cohort is starting to prepare us to onboard your staff and players to the race and space is starting in the middle of october Um, and we'll be going for eight weeks and i'll be coaching you if if you choose and uh, 10 to 15 other programs Through how to install the race and space and establish your own version of it. Um, So that would be the next level. You get the course as well there. And then lastly, is in-person install uh, clinics. I I go around, I think this year I did 25 um, with 25 different programs. I know. (laughs) With 25 different programs, I went and installed either Lock Left or Race and Space. And so that's like the most intensive. Um, I'm I'm booked up, uh, for this fall already, but if that's something you ever want in the future, you can check that out at, uh, TylerCoston.com. You can hit me on Twitter. That's how, uh, that's how coach and I hang out, uh, Tyler Costin as well. T Y L E R C O S T O N. And, um, yeah, I've just, I'm on a mission to, to coach coaches and, uh, I, I love to be able to serve.
0: That's Tyler Coston of Savvy Performance. Again, raceandspace.com. I'd encourage you to go check it out. Coach, I appreciate you. Always appreciate you making time to come and talk with us. Fantastic stuff. Thanks
1: again. Thank you. You do a wonderful job. Thanks, Coach.